In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively, but not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolf. Subscribe on iTunes or hit us up on Twitter at Londonist Sound. We're heading south of the river this week, well south of the river in fact, where we're going to hear a remarkable story of survival. Join me to find out about the tenacity of the Ivy House. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before. Just a stone through from your front door. Listener, a lot of unknowns await, I think, on this week's episode. Over a six-foot brick wall, just on the other side of the quiet suburban street on which I stand, there are rolling allotments, I think it's okay to call them that, and very pleasant it looks over there as well. In the background there's a tall fence with reels of barbed wire and what looks like a watchtower, so I, I, I I don't know whether they're very uh, very protective of their allotments over there. Um, the street we're on is quiet. It's brown brick. I'd say it's 100, 150-year-old houses, maybe even a little bit older. But the place we're here to see is the Ivy House. And I should say we're in south-east London, SE15. I've walked over from Broccoli. We're near Nunhead and other places about which I don't know too much and the ivy house itself is a bit of an enigma and there's a clue as to what's going on here because the uh, blackboards outside say save ivy house and this pub is an english heritage site and with me is hugo sims whose enigmatic uh, job title (laughs) such as it is is involved in the fortunes of the ivy house hi hugo hi hi quentin what on earth are we talking about (laughs) um we're talking about the Ivy House pub, which is it's a 1930s building. It's one of these TARDIS-like places that from the outside doesn't look like an awful lot, but from the inside is very much different. It's a place that's had mixed fortunes over the last sort of... Well, since it's been open in the mid-30s. And it's a place that I've known for about 10 years and moved near, very near about five or six years ago. And personally, the bit that interested me most was the fact that it, it had a very strong musical heritage here, um, especially in the pub rock, pre-punk sort of times of the early 70s 
And there's all sorts of rumours about who played here and who didn't play it here. And people said very early incarnations of Pink Floyd played here or the Rolling Stones, but there was never really anyone who actually was able to confirm that was the case. It was more likely that people at like Ian Jury were played here with Kilburn and the High Roads and Dr Feelgood and all that lot. And indeed, one of the things you see as you peek through the front door is a very cabaret-style gold curtain stretched across a small stage at the back there. It looks like it could well house a theatre. Yeah, it does look more like a theatre, actually, than a, a sort of a, a live music venue. Um, you, you kind of think of Phoenix Nights. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the, the gold curtains are actually, I think, well, these ones are about, we've got them new for the pub, but there's actually been some gold curtains there which are very similar for about mm, 15, 20 years or something like that in the pub rock days and I know we've just seen a photograph a holy grail photograph of a band playing here in 1974 and up to this point this was two days ago we'd not found any photographs of anyone playing here there's one online on, the, on a website of um, Eddie and the Hot Rods I think but it's a very small picture so we finally seen what the stage looked like then which was no curtains nothing just very black area but there was, a, was some sort of picture on the back and having met the people at the time who ran the place is a couple called Sue and Reg Fentiman um, this is about four or five years ago that they said there was some sort of if you ever see a, a, a photograph with what looks like a Mexican sort of picture or cactus or something at the back that that would be when we were there so we're trying to work out whether this picture actually has this thing on it there's a, the, the building itself it's um, historically very interesting there's lots of, it's a troll Truman's pub and there's still lots of Truman's embellishments inside and outside. Uh, well, I thought I recognised those uh, little reliefs there. We should say, of course, Truman's is the uh, enormous brewery on Brick Lane. Yes, it was the enormous brewery on Brick Lane, which, coincidentally, my father used to, used to work there in the 70s, so I had an extra sort of um, interest. What did uh, he do there? He was head brewer, actually. <laughs> so, uh, so that, um, yeah, it's been a nice little personal connection with, with me as well. Um, yeah, so you can still see the, uh, the Truman's eagle above both right and left hand side of this quite vast frontage actually I've always thought there's something very Teutonic about that eagle I never thought about that before but <laughs> it's extremely imperial isn't it it is isn't it yeah it's quite sort of quite Romanesque I suppose yeah and there's actually there's two doors out here only one of which actually works now there used to be three doors at the front of this pub one led to a lounge bar one led to a saloon bar and a middle one led to an off sales area and now only one door actually works the door that goes into the what is the public the public bar uh, and which now leads through to the, the stage. This is either so obvious that it's uh, not worth mentioning to the ears of some people, or it might be uh, one of those little nuggets that's interesting, but off-licenses were very often incorporated into the fabric of a, a pub, weren't they? So this was the alcohol that you're allowed to take away, and it's r- relatively recently that they've separated and become independent institutions. Yeah, I think there's um, I think there's a couple of places. I think there's the Raw, the Raw Oak, I think, in Borough has still got... I think if I've got the right name of the pub, might have the wrong one. Um, you can still clearly walk into what used to be the off-sales area. This one, actually, you can't walk in there anymore. <laughs> but um, I, we have met people who've known the place when they were kids in the 60s and 70s. And this is where they would buy their sweets as well. And that would be a bit of a treat to walk into the... This is when kids weren't in pubs so often. Uh, to walk into the off-sales area and they'd, they'd ring the bell to um, get the bar staff to come around because you couldn't... Uh, this particular off-sales area was enclosed apart from the little strip of the bar... Um, which you had to sort of lean your head around and uh, see what was, try and get someone's attention. So that would have been staffed by the same people working in the saloon? Yeah, yeah. So there's one sort of bar that went all the way around, um, bar service area. There's about five different rooms. There were five different rooms to this this pub. Uh, and you can see the old numbers above the Darius rooms, which I think we use for tax purposes. Oh. Each room had a number, and so it became easier for 
tax or income tax people, whatever these people are, VAT people, to sort out what they had to sort out. So one member says five, but there's actually only three rooms here now. But of course, there used to be used to be more. Before we go in and explore the place, let's zoom out and consider the area in uh, from an eagle's eye perspective. Yeah. It's not an area I know well. Could you sort of sketch out what's going on here and, and maybe set it in the context of of London? Well, we're very near Peckham, which, as we know, is changing. I'm also very near East Dulwich, and there's a certain mix of those two the sort of young happenings or thing that's happening in Peckham but also you've got more the sort of middle class sort of family types who are moving from that not necessarily from East Dulwich but there's an overflow of that um, type of people buying houses around here now my own personal experience tends to be people more with a creative background um, creative middle class I don't know what the actual phrase would use it's a community that's, that's, that's getting back in touch with itself it feels like but also connecting with a lot of people I know a lot of people around here live around here for a very long time as well so it's not just new new people coming in. It's, it's 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 mixing well. That's one of the dangers, isn't it, with places that have gone up in the world, which is what I'm reading into what you're saying. I, yes. hope, I hope correctly, but that anything that was there before gets kind of washed away or pushed to one side. Yeah, which was was a fear with this place. And well, there's many fears with this place, but one of them was if it did get saved as a pub, it would it turn into some sort of gastro sort of place. But everyone behind the saving of it loved it for as it was, and so that was always a very important thing to keep it as it is and a lot of people involved have lived around here a long time so it's not it has been a night it's been very quite rewarding to be involved with you know to have people been living here for two or three years mixing with people who have known the place uh, since the war in fact there's two people i know who know the place since the war what was it doing at that point you mentioned the music scene in the late 60s 70s what was going on between the war and then right well, i tell you I'm, I'm now looking down stuart road towards peckham common peckham rye common on the left is the pub and on the right is the allotments which uh, you mentioned between the pub and the road down the end on the left hand side is um, some uh, flats built flats or houses built in the 1970s now, what they used to be between this pub and the main road was a load of shops and in 1944 the whole lot well, one July day uh, the whole lot got obliterated with a, a V1 bomb and 17 people died and the pub was the only thing really just to survive and, and at that point it was a new building it had replaced a previous pub. Uh, oh God, one thing I haven't mentioned was this, this has only been called the Ivy House recently. For many years, it's the Newlands Tavern. Uh, and a lot of people who would have come here to see music would have known it as the Newlands or the Newlands Tavern. So this was a new pub. The previous building would have, would have been obliterated as well. Surveyors who've seen this pub recently have said it's built like Duplo. Been, it's built to last. So they weren't surprised it survived this bomb that obliterated everything else. It was, it was used for billiards... There's a billiard tables in there. I know there's a lady around here who's probably well into her 80s, I should think, who used to come here during the war to um, check on her dad to get him to come back for dinner because he'd be the guy who was the best billiard player and he'd be t- teaching a lot of the um, younger people how to play billiards. The lady who ran it at the time, a Mrs Rhodes, was a widow and all the people who were displaced by the bombing she put up in the top of the pub while they were getting rehoused. And so this lady's um hetty is her name uh dad he, he'd always go to the pub and say oh well i've just got to check on mrs Rhodes," uh, and that would be his excuse for going down the pub for two or three hours <laughs> to sort of see what's going so this place kind of uh, i hope i'm not reading too much in but it must have represented something at the time not only being the one thing left standing in terms of a com- some sort of center of community activity but also being a bit of an arc for those who were displaced yeah no, absolutely yeah absolutely right and it was um you know, that, that when the war finished, 
there was a big party outside the pub and inside the pub is the one you know place that was left and at that point for another 30 years there was nothing between the pub and, and the road we're looking down towards and when in fact it was built it, when Truman's had to apply for it to be rebuilt they had to kind of show that a pub of this size had to be worth building and as we had to do when the pub was saved we had to sort of prove or really push that it was important to the community they had to do the same thing in the 1930s that they had um, one room was used for eating one room for you know the billiards there was it was it wasn't just a, a, a small pub, it was um, called a multitasking pub, which is what it's doing again now, which is quite nice to have that roundness to the whole thing. Well, that, that's a perfect cue to uh, get indoors. Uh, so when we go through the uh, left-hand uh, set of doors, underneath the Truman's gold leaf, or gold leaf effect, um, well, I launched into that sentence not knowing how I was going to finish it there. <laughs> It's a bit cornucopia-ick, it's a bit uh, leafy, maybe berries. What are they? Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's tempting to say hops, but it doesn't look like a hop. Doesn't look oh, like well, hops, they could be, it? couldn't they? It's more, it's more like berries, yeah, large grapes, perhaps. Hops and grapes. Right, uh, if you, uh, <laughs> listener, if you'd just like to pick the words in that sentence that uh, best suit you, and uh, let's pretend that makes sense. And through we go, and on the right, a curved bar, and there's a lot of wood going on here. We go under the partition that says True Brown Ale, Burton Brewed Bitter, Imperial Stout. And in we come to the area that uh, we were talking about before, with two, in fact, two sets of gold curtains, perfect for a stand-up comedian to emerge from, very uh, Eric and Ernie, I'd say. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'd agree, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is a fantastic room. You, you're instantly reminded of some of the... Maybe it's just the colouring, I'm not sure, but it reminds me very much of Wilton's musical. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, actually, because we, we did a little... We, uh, we got a projector and a screen here, and one of the first films I put on to um, see if it worked was from an old 1960s film showing Wilton's musical as it was then, and projected onto the back of the stage. It actually almost looked like it was sort of one and the same thing. Another place it gets compared with quite a bit is the Rivoli. No, no, that's not somewhere I know. That's, well, that's not far from where you just come from, actually, Broccoli. But the Rivoli's a lot bigger. It's, it's a ballroom in Broccoli, opposite Crofton Park tube station, train station. Does that mean there was a sort of a general style afoot or an architect who was uh, sowing his oats? I can't say that. Was there, <laughs> that's, an, that's entirely his own affair. Was, or an architect who was uh, spreading his style through the area? Um, I don't know about the Rivoli, but definitely with Truman's, it was there was an in-house architect called A. E. Sewell, I seem to recall. Oh, that's it. So this is why there's so many common features on the uh, Truman's pubs that you see around. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in here, looking around now, I can see the chequered uh, spittoon, which apparently is a classic Truman's feature. Um, around the corner, we've got sort of chevron glass patterns. I, I discovered that there's quite a few pubs in, in London which are listed, grade two listed, this is about four or five years ago, and they are designed by the same architect. Even though we weren't absolutely clear whether this was the same architect, but it's seen the same sort of time and there's, there's similarities, like you're saying. And in fact, if anything, I mean, it's because of the bomb and this pub being left on its own, it, some people would say, who don't live immediately around here, well, why would anyone go there? Because it's nowhere near anywhere ignoring the fact there's about a thousand households around here uh, and other people say well, why have they built a pub in the middle of nowhere not realizing that there used to be all these shops down there but in a way i think the fact that it has been sort of left on its own um is the way possibly saved it because no one has come in to try and improve it and everything that's here now is 
pretty similar, I should think, to as it was when it was built. And so it was nicely uh, preserved. And so when Indian heritage did come to have a look at it, we could tell that they were immediately um, in- interested. It was quite promising. Could you just uh, talk us through that process then? Because one thing that we're aware of in London, certainly, probably nationwide, is this swathe of closures. Well, no, swathe is wrong. That suggests that there's a a wave that uh, comes and and, and then is gone. But it's just a relentless crushing of uh, public houses across the country. They're they're disappearing. Yeah. you see one or two uh, going, becoming gastropubs or becoming um, refreshed, in, uh, but also losing what they previously were, I think, in the process, yeah. which you know, maybe that renewal is just um, uh, the, the state of things. Uh, but overall, I think we're losing pubs. Um, what, what was the point at which this place started to be under threat? At what point did you realise there was a crisis for its future? I think there's probably been a crisis for its future since, definitely since the early 2000s, which is kind of before I, I knew it. It had its period of success in the 70s, um, early mid-70s, and then, by all accounts, it was pretty successful too in the 1990s. Um, but it was still... I don't think it was still being used all that much as a drinking place. It would tend to be a place for events, like Friday, Saturday nights, the place would be really, really busy. But then, then it, 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 the, the people had been there quite a long time left, and then it, it, it did take a bit of a dive, and it became um, somewhere that seemed to be running in spite of what was going on. Uh, and then it went through a period of leaseholders or landlords towards the end of the you know, 20, 2007, 2008, 2009, that sort of time. And the, the, what seemed to be going on was that the company who owned it seemed to be intentionally pushing up the rents to, to, to have the place run down. Uh, and that was their seemed quite obvious intention was to, to, sell it to eventually sell it to a developer when everyone just lost interest in the place. And so there was always that feeling it was it was had a precarious existence. Um, we should say, of course, that the chain themselves aren't here to uh, to answer no, that. No, no, so there no, may I be more to that names. story. I won't say any names. No, no, no. But that was the worry, founded or unfounded, I don't know. But um, there used to be uh, things would still happen here occasionally. But it, would, it, 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 it there was no one drinking in here at all, really. Um, and it had a bit of a bad reputation. It's been a bit of a sweary pub. People didn't really want to go in. Um, people still have private events here, but it was they weren't. Really, really rude ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but then, so, so yeah, so there's always a worry that it, it's going to, one of these days it's just going to be that, there's going to be closed and that's it. But then um, uh, a couple of guys took it over, leaseholders took it on with a, a, a bar manager who had turned the place around to a certain extent. Um, got a couple of good beers in and just became a friendly face and people just started coming and using the place again. And as I said, the area is sort of changing a bit anyway and, People will think, well, it's a fantastic place we've got here, and it's not really sort of doing what it should be doing, maybe. Why is that? Um, and around this time is when the English heritage thing was happening. And I suppose, personally, I, I, I kind of, I'm not really business-minded, but what I can do, I, I do, you know, I write, and I thought, well, I'll just use the sort of skill I've got. And so I thought, if I go and meet these people, the Fentimans who ran the place, I'll trace them on the internet and do an article in a local paper about the old bands who played here that might help, you know, or help the cause, maybe raise the profile to a certain extent. This is when the pub was just turning around again a bit as well. And, and what happened was someone picked up on it from camera, the campaign for Real L, the article, and we liaised, and that's, he put the English Heritage listing in. So that, that's, that's kind of got, got the ball rolling. So, so your role in this is Samaritan? Uh, one of many. Yeah, because there's, there's many, many people. Oh, I can say, oh, OK... Um, that link in the chain and had that not happened this wouldn't happen but there's 
uh, I could think of many, many, many people had this not happen or that not happen. It's one of these, um, I don't know if it's the case with all things like this, but uh, I, don't, I don't want to say numbers. It could be 10, 20 more people. If that one person wasn't in the chain, uh, it wouldn't have happened because of this, that. And by it, the happening, I mean it, the pub being saved. That really is a fragile existence. It is very fragile existence, yeah. Okay, so as I look around, I'm seeing a place that were it located in... Uh, well, it's, it's, it's got a bit of a Hoxtonish resonance, um, and I think there are places that go to great lengths to affect the kind of style that seems to be here quite naturally. Mm. You, you've got the uh, abundance of comfortable-looking Chesterfields for a start. It's a good-looking place. I mean, is it simply at this point that the area has got used to the fact that this thing isn't here or isn't, isn't the thing they want it to be and they haven't considered looking back through the doors? Um, were you talking three or four years ago? Mm. This place wouldn't, wouldn't have survived just as a pub still. Um, I mean, you're talking about pubs closing. And as a pub, this place still wouldn't make it. Um, and it relies purely on the, the events that happen here, especially the big private events or public events. Um, it's very nice to have it just as a pub sometimes, but financially it doesn't work. You were behind the bar until very recently, in fact. I was, by, well, I was sort of, yeah, sort of in, in the pub until recently. I didn't go behind the bar all that much. But I was helping, um, I was the events sort of coordinator, uh, which was a part-time job, but it was turned out to be rather more than that. And I've got another work as well, so it, I've passed it on to someone uh, called Harry, who's been here for a very long time and is sort of, Worked his way up. In fact, I can, more ways than one actually, um, because he used to, his band used to uh, rehearse here many years ago as well. When was it? Many years ago, five, six years ago. So he, he's heavily involved with the place and he's local. And so it's been a nice sort of passing over. And he works here anyway. So there's a lot of, I mean, I don't want to frighten the guy, but there seems to be a lot of pressure on him then, because what I think I've heard you saying is that it's all about the, you, you, been clear it's all about the events but it seems as though the key to it is having somebody who's invested in uh, the place and you can't just take it on as a passing job you've got to really care about the thing yeah that's a really good point and that's much that was something i was you know knowing when i realized i kind of wanted to pass it pass it on i thought that was very important as well it has to be kind of someone i think who kind of understands the place and not someone who's as you say passing through and ticking the boxes and so the fact that harry ticks the right boxes i think is very important he, he, he cares about the place he knows the place and he understands the community background or the community vibe um that's not to say that you know we, we, we do have to get this balance of it being a you know a pub that's the community and so it feels informal and friendly and all the rest um but it's still a business so we still have to sort of be making money um and that's something we're learning to a certain extent as we're going, as we're going along, especially me, because I hadn't done this sort of job before. You know, so we're just sort of you know, doing things in a certain way that's better than <laughs> better than how it started out. <laughs> so, what, are we, what are we going to do? Someone wants to have a wedding. How much are we going to charge them? Uh, um, but, you know. <laughs> 20, a 20, thousand, 30, a million. Thousand, a million, <laughs> two pounds, I don't know. I can see that you wouldn't have uh, passed the baton to Harry were he not somebody who you thought was going to look after things. Uh, and so we'll put that to one side. Separating that issue, how do you feel having uh, looked after the place and been its guardian for this length of time to, to not be doing that in that way at the moment? Um, well, first of all, I'll say obviously I'm just one of many because um, we've got a bar, you know, bar manager um, and the head chef and all the rest, and there's two or three shift supervisors. Um, so it's been a team effort. But yeah, it, well, to be honest with you, I'm actually, it's actually quite a huge weight off my shoulder. <laughs> um, uh, but there is, yeah, you're right, there is also that thing about, you know, thinking, oh, you know, suddenly I can't just walk in now and um, 
just turn the music up on the on the um, yeah the pub stereo or something like that even though I did do just now. I've been very happy to move on in the way. I enjoy the pub, because, of course, the reason I got involved in the first place was that I, I liked the pub and I wanted to save the pub. No, not wanted to, I wanted to be involved with everyone else with saving of the pub. So it's nice to be able to sort of have that sort of thing back. Because in my other work, I used to come here quite intermittently, you know, usually in the afternoon, but other times it was quite bitty. And so the new guy's able to, because he works here anyway, is able to hopefully make it a bit smoother for him. We're going to have a bit of a poke around the building, I think, in just a second. Uh, you mentioned that you write. What do you write? Um, well, this is one of the other reasons why I've <laughs> hung up the events mantle to try and get back into that. Um, most recently it's been, well, I mentioned the article I did about the pub, but I did a then and now a photo book with a friend of mine about London about two or three years ago. And before then, in the 2000s and 1990s, I was doing scripts, theatre, mainly theatre stuff. Got the occasional bit of paid stuff with TV, but um, didn't quite lead to fame and fortune. So I've got to sort of try and think which hat I'm going to wear writing-wise now. I've got a bit more time to get back onto that. Always the problem with the life creative, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. everything comes up. You think, oh, that would be a good story or a good idea for a film or a good idea for an article. Or, you know, it's, so it's, yeah. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively, but not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just um, select, been selective and sticking with it. <laughs> yes. Well, should we have a nose around? Yeah. Where would we well, I mean, naturally we start, go to? Start here. I mean, on the walls here, we've got um, a lot of album sleeves and some old posters too. The old posters are from 1974. The Fentimans who ran it then found it in their loft, these old Dr. Feelgood posters. We've got Kippington Lodge, where apparently is Brindley Schwartz. McGuinness Flint, a band called Ace over there, who had a hit with um, How Long Has This Been Going On, I think. And I think they were on Top of the Pops the week before they were due here. This was booked in before uh, the Top of the Pops appearance, before they had this hit. But they decided to stick with their gig at the Newlands Tavern, because they're nice guys. Uh, and apparently the queues of young women were going all the way down to Peckham Common, which is about 200 yards down the road, which didn't really happen very often. Um, and the rest of the album sleeves are all bands that, you know, that have played here, uh, mainly in the 1970s. I detected that there was some doubt about the uh, provability of their appearances. Um, not the ones here, but okay, the Rolling these, Stones. These are verified. These are verified, yeah, the Rolling Stones and Pink Floyd. 
We haven't. Yeah, you know, no one's actually said I was there. Um, it's possible because there's there's Camwell art connections with early Pink Floyd, and the Stones are Dartford, aren't they? David Bowie's another one who's mentioned. He's Brixton, so there could have been some very early sort of connection, but nothing's. No one's come forward. So what we got here. I mean, this is, this is through looking through the timeout, mainly through the timeout archive listings. We've got Kilburn the High Roads, who are almost like um, a house band here, who are a rather odd-looking bunch of... This is Ian Jeery's pre-Blockheads band. Rather odd-looking bunch of guys, and they, they used to come here so often they'd have dinner with the, um, the Fentimans and their family. Um, apparently, Ian Jeery used to help himself to steak and kidney pies from the fridge. That's what he was very partial to. Um, so you're turning the music up or down is nothing compared to that? No. no. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, yeah. You have a long way to go. <laughs> We've got Ducks Deluxe. There's um, Status Quo up there. They have come round here and a couple of people have said they've seen that. So we'll trust that one. The Stranglers played here not long before the place the Fentimans left in early 76. And the 101ers, which is on Joe Strummer's pre-Clash outfit. But when the Fentimans left, then with it, the, the music sort of, even though it's kept on going intermittently, uh, over the years, and there have been some good bands here, and there still are, still are now. It was a regular venue that was listed in Time Out and the New Musical Express. It, it, it ceased, really. And yeah, there's various other bands here I'd never heard of until I sort of find them on, in the archives. So they're all adorning the walls now. What goes on in terms of live music now? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, well, the, the regular stuff is we've got jazz, um, free jazz on Sunday lunchtimes. It tends to be sort of big band or maybe three or four pieces. Um, there's a monthly folk outfit, folk uh, event. Um, the goose is out of the local folk promoters, and they've been doing something here since we've reopened. There's um, what's the other regular Irish music sessions on Tuesdays. Apart from that, there's been quite there's an awful lot of interest if people wanted to play here. Um, quite overwhelming, in fact. And it, because of one thing and another, sometimes we just want it as a pub. Other times we just can't book it in. We there's not very much we can take on. Um, so the other music is. Well, it, it just, it's just been all sorts, you know, from, from indie electronica to. It, we, we, we try and keep it reasonably low key because we've got to be careful about noise coming out the side of the pub. Uh, so it could be, you know, slightly more acoustic-y bass suits us quite well, but various things have got through the net. And it's not just that as well, it's not just music, it's um, comedy, which is something that when we opened, it took a while to sort of get back here for one reason or another. But, but before the pub closed, um, last time around, or even the time before that, Paul, the other one who um, the comedy promoters around here were performing here. There's a comedy cabaret which suited the place really well with these gold lame curtains. And they'll be coming back next year. And we've got another midweek comedy happening already now. So it took a while to get going, but it's, you know, there's so much interest in this place and it's been quite difficult to sort of fit everything in. And people often say, oh, can we just, I want to have a go at doing something regular, maybe, maybe once a week or maybe once a month. And they say, well, once <laughs> and let's just see how it goes um, Peckham Free Film Festival have used the place before and they're coming back here which has been very successful it's also used as um, almost like a community hall uh, every morning now. I think, it's, I think it's every morning there's some sort of kids group here or another it's either dance or drama or music or storytelling or something like that there's been grown up jazz dance classes on Saturday mornings which have been very successful so it's, it's, it's fulfilling its original role, again, as this community place. But that's the, that, that's the thing, that it has to be used as much as possible. I mean, you know, at some point we've had two or three things going on in here at once, which is maybe, looking back, it was too much. But 
that, 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 that vibe is, is very important to the place, that there's something happening. I mean, it's very quiet here now. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable we managed to find time in all of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the, week, the, week, the, the afternoons are, are obviously the quiet, the weekday afternoons are the quieter period. Well, we're standing here, we can look up. There used to be glass in these ceilings above us here, which would come, let the sun come in on the billiard tables. Do you know, I was going to ask that, and I thought it was a stupid question. As we look up here, we've got a eight, maybe ten-foot square uh, recess into the roof, and within that there's a Art Deco relief, and from it is hanging a glitter ball, I'd say. That's what's giving the place the... Uh, <laughs> The, the look. Um, and so that was, all, that was all glass up there, was it? Yeah, I've forgotten what the official term is. Lantern? That's not right. No, I'm not sure. There is a long-term idea to put that back in in a, in a soundproof way um, with some sort of, you know, sliding covers like Wimbledon because <laughs> you don't always want the sun beaming in at 9 o'clock at night if there's a, a gig on. But it is a dark room. It's probably more suited possibly to the, the winter and the autumn. That's something we're, we're addressing it's, it's bringing out the cave dweller in me, I must say. Yes. <laughs> yeah, not oh, good. Should we go and explore the rest of the cave? Yeah, sure. We're heading through a pair of oaky doors into, I guess this would have been the lounge bar. Um, no, no. Gonna, oh, no, I'm going to show you no. later. This is, this is well, we call it the refectory, and I think it was called the refectory then as well, and as it implies, it was, like a, was used as an eatery place. Um, we're pretty sure. It's very grand, actually. It's, it's got these, these seals embossed onto the walls. There's been a couple of theories. Um, the most recent one is they might be Masonic. Um, somewhere here when... I think we're, put to one, were there originally when the pub was rebuilt. Um, there's other ones you can see seem to be sort of slightly plastered on by someone's child. <laughs> I'm not quite sure where there might be more recent additions but I wasn't here but someone did come in actually and very confidently go for every single one and say what they all meant. Well we've got over here is this not the Truman's uh, bird again? Well I've not noticed that before I'm not sure actually I can't quite see what sort of bird it might be mind it. But to give you an idea listen they look a little bit like the sort of emblems that you'd have on medieval shields uh, heraldic symbols and to add to that effect at the centre of one of them there is the uh, helmet and visor of an armoured knight there are three roses on several of the others. A portcullis with chains and a swan. The additional effect, of course, is that the roof here, this is uh, timber beams uh, whitewashed in between. Yeah, uh, um, having been here when um, one of our team, Stuart, has spoken about the architectural merits of the place, and that's his day job as well, is involved with that. That, that, that mix is very much... Um, part of the original reasoning behind the way the pub was built and obviously the 1970s thing in there they weren't thinking of that in 1935 but but, I, but there was that difference that the front apparently is neo-Georgian I seem to remember him saying and in here now this is supposed to be like sort of it's supposed to represent uh, like an old village what it might look like in a village pub there's a very large fireplace um, with a couple of wooden settles would you call them either side or wooden benches which are, which are part of the panelling I think the fireplace is actually just made of concrete or something like that, but it was designed to give that impression you, this room, you were kind of part of it, you were in this little village. Oh, so what, now I'm hungry for more. What else is going on in this building? Oh, right, I see. Ah, right, well, I'm sure we have permission to go through. So what I'm going to do now, earlier on I mentioned at the front of the pub there was two doors, one you can walk through and one you couldn't. The one you couldn't walk through, behind that is now its, um, it's star- staffing area. Um, and about 25 years ago it was made used to be one of the old bars but it was turned into a private accommodation 
And for a period in the 80s, in fact, the part that's now closed was the bit that was open, and the large part that we've been walking through was the part that was closed, according to a couple of people I know who knew it then. And this one friend of mine was here one night, and the landlord kind of said, come with me, guys, I want to show you the rest of the pub. This is, i.e., the large bit that we're now, <laughs> now open. And also I took them through with a torch, like Indiana Jones-esque, into this sort of old <coughs> ballroom. Um, there was a comedian still at the mic going, can I, should I have come on yet? A dead pub rocker lying underneath the stage. Apparently it was still open sometimes for private events, but pretty much it was all closed off. We're moving through the bar into a back room. Right, we might need a piece of string to follow, this, uh, follow back in. Listener, I come to you with a solution to a problem that I know we've all experienced at one point or another. You know when, from time to time, you go outside your front door and it's rather colder than you would expect it to be and you find people pointing at you and laughing and making comments behind their hands. You know that feeling? And you get to work and your coffee or chocolate or hot beverage of choice is splattered all across your desk and dripping onto the floor. Well, I can tell you exactly which small oversight is to blame for all of this. You didn't go to the Londonist shop where you can buy a wide range of hoodies, T-shirts, mugs and other Londonist paraphernalia. And doing so not only keeps your desk clean and keeps you warm, but will also support us. Just go to londonist.com slash shop and uh, if you want to support the podcast in particular, you can lay your hands on a groovy Londonist Out Loud t-shirt and uh, use the discount 20 code to get 20% off. Londonist.com forward slash shop. There's always some interesting messages on the message boards. I remember wandering back uh, into the back of a a major chain of pubs, into the staff areas there, and there was the list of instructions there that if the customer came within 1.5 metres of the till, they had to be greeted within three seconds of their arrival. And there's a very precise list of (laughs) instructions. I think the customer service here is a little bit more organic, probably. I've not heard that one here, and that's good. So what we've got here... I don't know where to start really. It, it, it actually used to be one large room, a large bar area, which is now divided by stab, what call them, stad walls? Stad walls, stad yeah. Walls, yeah. Um, which I'm, that's that. But. Oh, what a shame. You'd, you'd knock that through uh, quite happily, wouldn't you? The floorboards, if, listener, if you're into floorboards, this is the place for you. And the windows, uh, yeah, they're very 19, uh, 1920s, 1930s yeah, still in the style. Original, still the original windows mm. and the original fireplace here. It's a lot brighter than the other part. The other, the existing part of the pub has only got windows at the front. Here, the windows go down all the way down the side as well, so it's a lot brighter. So there is a long-term plan to reopen this. I was just about to ask, yeah. OK, yes, good. Yeah, um, I'm not quite sure where we are with that, but... That's on the cards. No, uh, just uh, tell me about the English heritage involvement then. What flexibility does that leave you with in terms of what can still be done to the place? Or in terms of what can't be done as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, what do you, how, how much of their approval do you have to seek for minor changes? What I do know is that it has to... Anything that's done here has to go through English Heritage, even though a lot of this, where we're standing now, is obviously clearly being altered anyway. Mm. There's various bits of red tape which have to be sorted out with, I think, the Council of English Heritage or whoever else, which I'm not part of. But I know, yeah, there's... there's various consents that have to be agreed mm. it's all doable I think I don't think there's anything we're not knocking out anything anything that's coming out is stuff that wasn't here in the first place it's all these, these temporary walls and where we're standing now you're standing actually where you can see uh, where the old bar used to go around yeah there's a second set of floorboards that have laid I think the first lot in, in the bit of the room that was in front of the bar probably got wrecked by pints being spilled and <laughs> shoes scuffing it so there's an extra set of boards that have been laid around and you can see the curve where the bar was 
up there as and up there as well as the uh, the old the curve in the ceiling too the um the architecture of the large curved beam. It could use a bit of love, couldn't it? Yeah, which is which is on the cards. I mean, it is handy at the moment having it as a staff area because where we are now has been used as a kitchen storage. So if and when the place does get reopened, revitalised, that's going to have the knock-on effect of where everything's up here. You know, it's a very large cellar, so you can all go down there. So what's the thinking there overall? Is it a kind of a public fundraising type thing, or do you go to English Heritage and ask them for some assistance to make this happen, or what? Maybe a bit of both. Not about English Heritage. I, mean, the, I think the original hope, hope was that the pub would have the money itself. Um, but there, there might be, I was, yeah, there's all sorts of options for raising money uh, in other ways. So possibly that will be sought after again. So tell me about how this uh, Ivy House that we're standing in now, how did that ar- arise from the... No, from the ashes is too dramatic. That would suggest <laughs> that the V1 rocket was rather more successful than it was. <laughs> but, um, how, how did the Ivy House uh, come to be what it is today? As, as we know it now. Um, I suppose it all started when the pub closed down, when... Um, uh, Nick, who's the manager here, who I mentioned, who was turning the place around. Yeah, there was a very short lease. Um, I forgot what the official name is, but basically they had to leave within a matter of days. And the strong rumours were that the new buyer was a developer. And this was on a Wednesday, and Monday, Sunday was going to be the last day, and Monday it's going to be boarded up. And people who owned the pub would have known it was going to, it was it was a Grade Two listing pending. And so. What happened was that people saw suddenly, you know, it was a bit like sort of torches flaming, walking down the pub, going, what's going on? Um, a lot of these people didn't, I mean, I knew some people and other people knew other people, but a lot of them hadn't been, they're using the pub for different times for different reasons. And suddenly, with everyone being there at once, you can see, in fact, this pub was actually, was actually turning around. The, the people realised that the main thing to do was try and save the building first and then see what would happen. So there's all sorts of efforts to get this Grade 2 listing, listing pushed through somehow with phone calls to... Council, local MP, which is Harriet Harman, um, um, English Heritage themselves, emails and all sorts, just to try and get it sorted. Um, we, we all know that uh, those bureaucratic structures like to be hurried. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> um, but um, through, a, you know, there was a bit of, you know, a couple of connections I think we'll possibly use. I don't know, it's hard to, to know exactly what was going on. But on the Friday afternoon, lo and behold, it was granted. The Grade 2 listing was granted. What form did that take? Can you describe that moment? It was it was rather fantastic because the uh, the guy who put in the listing application who'd become a friend of mine from the, the guy who worked for camera, Neil. I think he rang me or just emailed me because he was the one who being the guy who put it in. He was the one who was notified first, so he emailed me and said it's been granted. Uh, and so I was kind of the conduit to other. I don't know I put it on the East Dutch Forum or something. And my hands were actually shaking. It was so exciting to say, you know, it's been listed. It's been listed. You know, uh, and then. Um, Sure enough, uh, the person who's going to buy it pulled out. The pub still closed down, but the, the leaving party on the Sunday was like a sort of party of hope rather than you know, despair. Um, so what would have happened had the listing not been granted was that they could have come in and just taken all the panelling. Everything in it that would give you that listing would be taken out, potentially, as soon as they could, and then there would know, be no listing. So then the building was saved, and then the idea was, well, now we've saved the building... You know, how do we make it a pub again? Maybe someone with, because it's still up for sale. Someone with an individual investor might buy it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but there was a large group of people who were behind it all, and it was all getting a little bit. Um, lots of emails going backwards and forwards, and someone took it upon themselves to be the person just to, just to 
sort it out and say, look, we just need a very small group of people ready just to sort this out, otherwise the whole thing's going to fail before it's even started. Uh, and she was, she's by trade a property lawyer as well. So, you know, that sort of thing helps a lot and did help a lot. And so, yeah, this sort of smaller group of people came together to be more sort of official, sort of, say, the Ivy House sort of committee. You, you were part of that? I was part of that, yeah. I sort of, I knew one of the guys um, on it who was on it then at the time, but the others I didn't really know. But I just made sure I got in there because of my sort of involvement with it before. You just got, I know a lot of, I work at the local school and I knew a lot of people in the area and I just thought it'd be quite useful having someone with that connection. And just. So, so what did you do then about the fact that it was still on the market? Um, I think there was, there was a couple of full storms in terms of someone, a couple of people who may, a couple of investors who may be able to help but then didn't or couldn't. And then the eye was taken off the ball a little bit during the summer. This is about three or four months after it closed and then someone out of the blue bought it, an independent businessman. And within three or four weeks, he had it up for auction at loads more of the price that he'd bought it for. So built it purely as an investment. In the meantime, we got wind of this asset of community value, which is kind of known about, but uh, this new act, or part of the Localism Act, which was a new act at the time, within that was something called the asset of community value, which meant if you had a building which was deemed to be an asset of community value and was agreed that that was the case by the local council... The group set up, putting that, that nomination forward, would have six months to put a bid together to buy the building, uh, if it was up for sale, which it was. Uh, and so this was uh, another one of these sort of, had to be done in two or three days before the pub went to auction sort of thing. I won't bore you with the details. It wasn't just as simple as just someone signed some paper that various things had to be done. But it got done, um, and this listing was granted, which meant the guy couldn't sell it at auction. So immediately... We were the least likely people he wanted to sell to because we'd stop in selling the pub, even though um, no one else could now buy it for six months. Uh, so the, the main thing was, though, was that we knew we'd be the first place in the country to make use of this new law. So there'd be the publicity to, that would go with that. And once you get listed as an asset community value, you're pushed towards sort of funding options where you get people to help you with as part of the localism, the locality, I think they're called. And again, it wasn't a short process. It was a very long process and very complicated. And I fortunately didn't have an awful lot to do with that because that's not the way my mind works. But other people on the committee, that is the way they work. And they're very good at doing it and did an excellent job putting a very professional bid together to raise money. Um, so a million pounds was raised, half a grant, roughly, and half, um, just over a half was a loan and just under a half was a grant which is enough to buy the pub and have some money left over to um, a start-up cost. A few Chesterfields. A few Chesterfields, yeah. <laughs> and that, so this, the timescale we're talking here was the pub closed in April. new guy got it in August, September, I think. Then the asset community value came in, I think, October. Uh, and basically we had about till March. So it must be in September, actually, because it's six months to get a bid sorted. So yeah, so the pub the pub got bought amazingly. I mean, it was, we didn't set out to buy the pub uh, as the community or as a company set up by the community, but um, that's what happened. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I remember we got the keys and walked in and sat in the middle there, and it's about seven of us, and I just sat in this or a dank space as it was at the time. Even though yeah, the features are still the same, which is kind of we all love the pub as it is, but we just needed quite a bit of TLC in the main part of the pub. But sat there and had a few. 
a glass of champagne. I was, I was going to say there probably wouldn't have been any beer available, would there? No, ironically, some champagne. In yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it's all. The, the, the last guys had to leave very suddenly, uh, and so it had been boarded up and left pretty much as it was. Well, it's a, a very different picture as I hope we've painted today. We're coming to the end of our time but the, the the happy thing is the ivy house is not um i should ask you just in closing though what about the change of name oh what why the ivy house well i mean it's, first of all it's the newlands tavern because the area is called newlands there's a bit of a debate i mean it, it's down as ivy house nunhead a lot of people will say it's peckham rye really yeah, you don't really see newlands on the map do you, you don't see on the map. Well, no I, well you do actually if you, if you get <laughs> i didn't know this until i saw an a to z recently it still says newlands it still says newlands so the pub was named after um, the area. Very briefly, it was a Stuart Arms in the 80s, because um, this is Stuart Road. So it's changed to the Ivy House, late 80s, early 90s. And the reason I've heard um, is that the person, someone involved with it, it could have been an owner at the time, or, not, or someone who had a connection with it financially, was mum was called Ivy, and there was Ivy. And her surname was House. Yeah. <laughs> the surname was House, yeah. There's a, there's a shrine to her. In the con- <laughs> um, uh, and there was Ivy on the, on the pub. <laughs> there's a road down the road. There's, down the road is Ivydale School and Ivydale Road. So I, I, there's, odd, there's no potential connection with that, but that's what I've been told. It'd be nice to make it the Newlands Tavern again, but um, it's now known as the Ivy House very strongly, so we can't really do that. This could be the Newlands Bar, maybe the new bar when it's reopened. That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for taking the time today to, to show us around. Um, of course, if people want to be here for whatever happens to be on in the night, and I must say the Sunday afternoon jazz sounds particularly appealing. What's the URL? What's the website? Uh, ivyhousenunhead.com. You go, Sims. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Thanks, Mike. My heart and that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Hugo Sims. Thanks to, to Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolf. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability because your material handling can be smarter. 
Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more.